Welcome back to Typically Hazardous. This is Hank Fortner, and I love getting to interact with you and talk to you about this podcast. Today's episode is with our friend Rob Bell, who you might have heard in the previous episode we did called 20-ish Questions with Rob Bell. But today's a special day with Rob because it is today the launch date of his book, How to Be Here. He has an amazing book that he gave to me a couple of weeks ago, and I poured through it. I read it all in one sitting, and then I listened to it in two drives, and it's just an amazing book about the presence of your life. And so this conversation that you're about to hear is me kind of deep diving with Rob about why the book and what the book and how it can change your life and mine with a few takeaways and a few extras that are not in the book. So I really hope you enjoy it. What I wanted to let you know about is a couple of things beforehand. Phoenix, Arizona, March 14th, we're coming to the Crescent Ballroom for a typically hazardous podcast recording, and we would love to see you there. You can find out all the details on either my Instagram at Hank, or you can go to hankfortner.com and get the rest of the details with addresses and all that kind of stuff. There's no tickets. There's no RSVP. It's totally free to be there. We would love for you to come and check it out and hang out or send this or text somebody who lives in the Arizona region and send them our way because I'd love to meet them and I'd love for them to be a part of it. If you want to join our email list, you can just text the number 66866 and text the name Hank and you will be prompted to give your email address and you'll be poof on this magical hankfortner.com email list and we'll keep you up to date on all the cool things we're working on and everything that's happening. Guys, this conversation with Rob is super fun. I hope you enjoy it and I can't wait for you to hear Rob explain to us how to be here. Welcome to Typically Hazardous. We have the Rob Bell here with us right now to talk about his new book, How to Be Here. And Rob, this is exciting for me for a number of reasons. One of those being <clears throat> that people may not know that you, you're a sort of a sensei to me. <laughs> I refer to you as a sensei because of the way that you sort of help me with those like creative conundrums or mm. like philosophical conundrums where I'm sort of stuck in a thing or whatever and I just feel like you've gone lots of places that we'll get to as we discuss, gone so many places, and it's just so fun to have a guy who's like sort of gone headfirst into the rainstorms and into the rainbows, and it's just been really fun. <laughs> a so, lot more rainstorms. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just very glad to be here, Rob. Uh, tell us about what is a day in the life of Rob Bell right now? Oh, it um, begins with breakfast for the kids, and we're serious. Yeah. About breakfast. Like, it's fresh smoothies. It's French toast, wow. bacon, eggs. Like, we go and all out. Do you out. make breakfast every day for your family? Every day. And it's serious. You do it, or Chris yeah. does it. Uh, okay. we, uh, she handles the smoothies, and I do the, like, skillet, whatever we're oh, cooking. Oh, nice. Okay. And it's <laughs> it's like a big deal. Amazing. So it's um, not throw them a Pop-Tart, get them out the door, go to school. I don't know. If no. We, it's I like just a said Pop-Tart. I don't know if people... <laughs> right, right. Pop tarts anymore, but right. you know that. Like, even, hey, I'm sure they still make pop tarts. Probably. Um, and somehow, there's something about doing that right. Yeah. There's something about if you start the day there, then if you can do that, then then you could probably do the next step. Um, mm -hmm. There's something, and you you have no idea what will come tomorrow. Yeah. So let's make a big breakfast. We have no idea what today will bring. So let's make a big breakfast. Nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Totally. And I'm um, um, today. Uh, politics, sports, music. Um, there's always something funny being discussed. Right. And yeah, it's just the best. So it starts there. 
And what do you do at breakfast? You're talking to your kids about what the day's going to hold. Are you? Yeah. Guys oh, the, the one. My one son is music. The other son is politics or sports, and um, and then my daughter will be some form of X Men superhero something. Nice. And the dog. Somebody will. The dog will be there, sort of circling in the kitchen, getting everybody's way. But we love the dog. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Amazing. And then the boys walk to school. They walk out the front door, and then I drive my daughter, literally three, whatever, four blocks away. Yeah, right. You know, right over there. Yeah. Um, like if she had longer legs, she would just get herself there. <laughs> sometimes, I, sometimes we walk, but mostly, like we just drive her around the corner, okay. and it's like it's like it's when people talk about like a practice or what's your, <laughs> that's it's that's all holy. It's all sacred to me. Yeah, right. It's all electric. It's amazing. It's like a really big deal to me. Then we walk the dog. Then I sit down at this desk right here where this we are desk. in the back house. And I do whatever the next book, show, talk, message, sermon, podcast, whatever whatever the next thing that I need that I'm working on. Yeah. That's the morning. It's all in order. Yeah. Amazing. I feel like there's a lot of people who are wondering what it is that you're doing. Oh. What is it that you're doing? You're writing books. I write books and yeah. I give sermons in all sorts of interesting places. Cool. Um, I think I probably get I probably speak in a church once a year, maybe. Okay. Otherwise, it's all sorts of. I have a uh, regular show at Largo, uh, like a comedy music club here in LA. Yep. So I do that, and then um, I do events like uh, in January, I took over the Viper Room for these two day events. I do two day events for entrepreneurs and artists and activists and moms and writers and business people and spiritual leaders and I do these two-day events where I talk and we interact and it's fantastic awesome and then I do tours around I was just in Australia I do tours so I'll rent like for this book we're actually renting dance halls and art galleries around the world and doing like wow. all-day all event where I'll sort of take people on a journey through the ideas in this book, and then we'll sort of explore it further and see what happens. Wow, awesome. So, uh, and then there's a comedian named Pete Holmes. He and I created a two-man show, and we took that. We did, we did, I think, nine cities around the country, and now we have a new thing we're doing. Um, so I think uh, end of March, we're, we're doing another one of our shows here in LA. <laughs> nice. Amazing. <laughs> You're all over the place. But it's actually, I'm here most days. Yeah, right. okay, yeah. <laughs> with my You're family. right here at this desk, yeah, <laughs> creating lots of beautiful yeah. things. Uh, so tell me about this book. It's called How to Be Here. And for many people, their fundamental orientation of the world is that the world is fixed, set, established, and you go out into it and find your place. Mm -hmm. But in the ancient Hebrew consciousness, the world is unfinished and you take part in the ongoing creation of the world. Uh, the great Heschel, Abraham Joshua Heschel, talked about how God is looking for partners mm. to, to co-create the world, mm. um, which is a much more dynamic, active, participatory view. Now, the moment you start talking about taking part in the ongoing creation of the world, there's always somebody who's like, yeah, but you don't understand what's come my way. The horrible things, right. the suffering things, the right. things I never, the you pain, tell, me that, you tell me that I create my life but what's interesting is you think about every cancer foundation was started by somebody probably who lost a loved one to cancer. Mm -hmm. And support groups are generally started by people who have struggled with addiction of some sort. So whatever comes our way is another opportunity to create something. Um, mm. And what's true, really, the people who most motivate and inspire us 
are people who horrible things happened to them and they chose out of that tragedy, trauma, heartache, pain, yeah, right. loss to create something uh, with that material of, of that yeah of that yeah for many thing. for many people the moment you talk about spirituality they think about it in very binary terms there's good and bad and the divine or being itself or spark or love whatever word you use for that is on the good and then there's all this bad that we don't quite know what to do with mm-hmm. um, but I, but a, a much more authentic healthy spirituality would have a non-dual aware, dual awareness would understand that spirit is present in the beauty and in the chaos, hmm. in the good and in the bad. Yeah, right. Uh, and if we were to talk about, I'd like for your listeners, you know, name three or four or five moments that most shaped you, that most altered the trajectory of your life. Most people, when you ask them that question, don't say, well, I went to the mall one time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? People yeah, don't. Totally. I, I had a cool vacation in Hawaii. You know, yeah. they say, I got fired. And in some strange way, it woke me up. Yeah. Or my dad got cancer, and it like changed everything. Yeah. So when when we actually talk about the things that shape us, it's generally the stuff we never would have chosen. Yeah, and we, you know, I I was in a session where the facilitator asked that question. It was a big executive. Everyone's an executive of something, and I and we were asked the question, "What's the best thing that's happened to you in the last five years?" And my friend who's with me goes, "My dad getting cancer." Mm. He said yeah. it reset and reshaped everything for our family, redirected the trajectory of everything. Yeah. So it is so interesting that you would wouldn't put that in the good when it's happening. Oh, awful. What do you tell people then in terms of their capacity to cope when they're going, Yeah, I have cancer right now, or I have a friend who Yeah. It's so tragic. He went to the doctor to get a shot. They gave a shot, but they hit his sciatic nerve. Oh. Uh. So he has debilitating and lay on the floor in the middle of the day, can't function. <sighs> with his life pain ever since that one little innocent antibiotic right, shot right, that right. should have been nothing, right? Yeah. What do you tell a person in the midst of that, of the kind of perspective they should have when they're in the middle of a of crisis? I may not say anything because some pain, silence, and solidarity are the only proper response. Yeah. You know what I mean? Nothing's worse right, than somebody totally. who charges in with Bible verses right, sometimes. Yeah, totally. Sometimes... There are no words for that kind of pain, so I'll tell you what, I'm going to sit with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting, when you talk to people who have been through horrible trauma, they'll often mention, hey, so-and-so came and did laundry every day. Didn't say a word, they just oh, came wow. over to the house. Yeah. So-and-so mowed my lawn, so-and-so showed up every morning, took my kids to school. Yeah. Uh, it's so interesting how people rarely say, man, so-and-so came in. They explained to me yeah. suffering and evil. They read me three pages of this right, book. Right, right, reading. right, right. Yeah. But you oftentimes, people will say, so-and-so was there. Hmm. Uh, I had a friend through a difficult period of life who, te- who would call every day, love you, got your back. Hmm. Like, f- for years on end, he would call almost every day, just thinking about you, love wow. you. And not in an annoying, like, stalker way, but in a, like, a, somehow it became like this, oh, it's Tom calling. Wow. Oh, we're going to make it. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, but in the context of this idea or this Hebrew practice yeah. or the, of that, does that is that relevant then to a person who's going through it right now? Like for me, when I started going through my crisis that I've talked about a lot on here of just sort of the ringing in my head and sort yeah. of the exhaustion and that sort of yeah. stuff, do I, now I look back on that and go, this has made me stronger. This has made me who I am. It's made me more focused. It's made me healthier yeah. Yeah, yeah. in the moment. 
what should I have? What should I yeah. grasp for? Do I grasp for somebody going, "Hey, will you call me every day? And tell me I'm <laughs> awesome." And you were actually, you were actually one of those awesome people that was like, that helped me through sort of the health of what it means to be maybe burnt out or those sorts of things. But what do you grasp for? What do you reach for? Is well, I think the first thing is you have to begin with ruthless, brutal honesty. Hmm. So any sublimation of how you're actually feeling will just come back to haunt you later. If you are angry, if you feel lost, hurt, betrayed, if this is a hell on earth, give that response expression. Um, this is why the Psalms, this collection of prayers in the middle of the scriptures, endure to this day hmm. because they're filled with agony. They're, God, strike my enemy down. Right. And people are like, well, that's kind of violent. Yes. Do you ever feel violent? Yeah. Give it expression. Okay. And actually, the more you give violence expression, the less likely you will actually act violently. Hmm. The more you give it language. Hmm. Um, and for thousands of years, people had poems, rituals, hymns, dances. Uh, human beings had a rich vocabulary and library for suffering. Um, and what's happened now in, in, in our world is so many people are disconnected from those rites, rituals. Yeah, right. Um, so what is, how do you in a very human way deal with getting fired? Hmm. Well, people for thousands of years loss as, oh yeah, we have a bunch of, we, we do certain things. So you, you'll see this uh, image in the news of there's a death in the Middle East and people are wailing and weeping and throwing themselves on the coffin. Yeah. And you think, oh, how primitive and barbaric. So you go to a, an American funeral and people sit perfectly still. Yeah, totally. Maybe one tiny tear. Yep. I'm so sorry. I'm having trouble controlling my emotion. A loved one just died. That's kind of normal. And yeah. we say, look how primitive and barbaric that is. Yeah. When in Western culture, often it's all just repressed. It's just stuffed down in there. Yep. And then we wonder why there's depression, addiction, sleeplessness, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so I always begin with, if you feel like you have been betrayed by the universe, that's a fairly normal response to what you're going through. Hmm. So the first thing is expression. Hmm. Give it language and get it all out. Hmm. Get it, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right, yeah, totally. I am, I am raging right now. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. That's, that's actually the first step to health. Um, wow. That's cool. So this book, I mean, I love that concept. I love that practice putting that this book is about that central idea of kind of taking the material of what you have in the world and moving yeah to that, create something that your life is a fundamentally creative act that you have breath hmm. that you are here and how you organize your life is fundamentally creative work so when people say like i'm really into creativity are you breathing yeah too late you're creating your life yeah and you have more power to create your life than you realize so some people would say, well, no, you don't understand. I have to go to work every day. That's just the way it works. Well, you could get another job. Well, you don't understand. I need this job to pay these bills. You could live in a smaller house. Right. Like you could, and people do all over the world, rearrange their lives. Yeah, this can totally. be done. You can move yeah. from Bangladesh. You can move to North Carolina. Like you can do this. Yeah, and, right. And people do. And what I've discovered in these events that I've been doing for especially business people is how often um, people will express disempowerment 
they're educated, they know how to work. Wow. But they'll be like, "Oh, you don't understand." I got this boss or my this. life. Yeah. It, it we're just so busy. And you start peeling back the layers. You don't understand. It'd be nice to have all that freedom and creativity, but I got to like pay the bills. Hold on, yeah. hold on. What do you do all day? How have you organized your life? Right. Uh, some people live in a smaller house closer to work so they can walk. Yeah. Some people, like, there are other ways to arrange things. Sure. So it's and, an empowerment yeah. model in your mind of going, going of having, helping people see what that information is yeah. that's... You have more power than you realize. And oftentimes, the crisis is not options or better possibilities. It's simply imagination. Wow. It is... A crisis of imagination, wow. and, and what's interesting uh, in the in the book, I talk about how despair is a spiritual disease. Despair is the spiritual disease of believing that tomorrow will simply be a repeat of today. Hmm. So the ancient Exodus story is about these slaves who make bricks for the Pharaoh every day, bricks, bricks, bricks. Each day is going to just be a repeat of tomorrow, of, of wow. the day before, which was bricks, bricks, and that the the liberation story is of rescuing people from tomorrow simply being a repeat of today. Wow. Which is interesting. You talk to many people nowadays. I feel like a number. Yeah. I feel like I'm uh, on the treadmill. Yeah. I feel like I'm just putting in my time. Yep. Um, that's all ancient language of despair. And, and the power of spirit is the disruption that says, wait, tomorrow could be different than today? Yeah, totally. So what do you do for people who live, who are listening, right? Who live in places like Iowa or right Minnesota on. or I grew up in <laughs> Ohio, right? And everything is kind of the same every day. But the one thing when you talk about your upbringing is it wasn't the same. Right. Every for day. me, it was insane. For me, yeah. I got a lot of, I had, I traveled, I was all over the place. But okay. Okay. The, so let's, let's stop there. Yeah, okay. Were your parents multimillionaires? No, not at all. Did they have remotely. all sorts of connections with people who owned mansions and yachts and such? Uh, no. Yeah. Not really? So somehow your parents in Ohio, without crazy amounts of money or all sorts of interesting connections. Okay, right. Somehow, every story you've ever told me about your family, they somehow instilled some sense that life is an adventure. Yes. And that's irrespective. That's independent of how much money you have or how much education you have or how, how many exotic homes you own and exotic. Yeah, that's I true. mean, that was a thing. That was a spirit of adventure. Yeah, right. That your parents, and then they start adopting kids. You yeah. don't and fostering thirty six. Right. I lived in three states, or mostly four states, every year, all year round. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So what's fascinating is, what about that is unattainable for most of us normal people? Is that, like because in my mind, I look at that and I just go, "Lucky me." Right? Like yes. My parents were crazy. My brothers and sisters didn't have that experience because it's not like they wanted to. I was like, yes, I will go to the house. <laughs> yes, I will go do that. And, and I had all these, I just feel like I had all these like blessings, these offerings. Then I get a job and then I start paying a mortgage and then I start living a whole calendar year in the same place. And I'm not picking on Ohio. I'm picking on my experience yeah. in Ohio was, it was a little Groundhog Day-ish for me, especially mm. in the wintertime. Yeah. What was I and so that I like packed up. I was like, I, I think I have to get out of here. Yeah. Because I just felt like I was missing something somewhere else. I had like this. I would literally look at sunsets. This is crazy. I would drive <laughs> home and look at sunsets and just go, 
something amazing is happening somewhere. <laughs> it just isn't right where I am. And that's having that I was a part of a huge community. I got to do things nobody got to do my age. And I had people I loved. And I was with my family. Like I had all those pieces. I just had this weird yeah. thing. Is that maybe that's a different well, book? If it's okay if it's that's a different book, I just that's what it's bringing up for <laughs> well, me. Well, I would say that, uh, actually in the book I talk about your deep waters. Mm-hmm. The first thing is like in recovery, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. So the first thing is sometimes there is unhealth, wounds, dysfunction, and everything within you just wants to get out of here. But the truth is you'll go there and that you'll have the same exact yeah, totally. problems. And you'll want to leave there. So sometimes there's something off that we need to work through. Uh, and sometimes people will say things like, I can't keep a relationship together or right i'm okay that makes sense i would separate that from you had some sense that there was more and if you didn't act on that sense something within you would die okay and it was that one it wasn't that i had that unresolved in, issues <laughs> and if i got to la well what's interesting then i is have all the same ones you came to la and have just continued to flourish and and build a family and grow things and it doesn't appear like there's any sort of thing that followed you from Ohio that's bringing you down but um, that also involved a moment of profound risk yes and what's fascinating to me is the people who have some sort of inner thing that tells them you gotta go do this there's a hero's journey for you yeah and but it will always, always, always involve some element of risk. Wow. If it was easy, if all the resources were in place, if all the first seven steps of the path were right. all written out, then everybody would do it. Yeah. And I, like every time I talk about this in a group, somebody will articulate eight, I'm dying. I actually do know the next step, but it, but it would have financial risk. It would yeah. mean leaving the familiar... And relationships, you, the all that stuff. The only thing we're talking about here is courage. Wow. The only thing we're talking about right oh, okay. now is courage. Okay, that's true. It okay. will always involve some element of leap and risk. That's great. So this idea came to you because you were reading Abraham Heschel and said, hey, this is idea, or where does this idea come from for you personally? Now that oh, you cre- know, we've talked about, like, even the concept of writing a book comes from this deep place yeah, that you yeah, just yeah. can't shake. Someone said, yeah. Someone said, because uh, I was telling someone about a book idea I had, and he goes, man, you really shouldn't tell people that. They're, they're going to write this. They'll, they'll steal it from you. And I'm like, I, I don't think that's possible. Like, it's so <laughs> insane. They could do, they could write something with the same title, and it wouldn't be what's inside my guts. I don't know if I can write the book that's inside my stomach. <laughs> Does, is that right? So where did, what was, what's inside you or what It takes me years through? to write a book. So when someone's like, oh, someone, write, someone else is going to sit yeah, right. at their desk and slug that thing out for a couple Not years. A awesome, yeah, awesome. <laughs> Have at it. Yeah, I'll see you in two years. Um, actually, this book came about because I've for twenty five years been making things, hmm. and so many of the things I've made have just bl- like fallen apart at my feet or just sort of taken off and then nosedived. <laughs> that. And I realized that I'd learned as much or more from the things that just went belly up. Wow. And then the things that I'm about to air quotes were successful. 
And over time, I kept noticing that six, that my understanding of success is just was completely thrown out the window because you you just keep going on your path and you just keep making things and you just keep trying things. Yeah. And some things appear to have a certain moment to them and some things sort of keel over and die. And that's actually how it works. And everybody I know who is living a life of a good, thriving work in the world, when I get to be with them and ask them questions about what they do, are always like, yeah, you, you just keep going and you just keep... And so many people I meet have this catatonic sort of paralyzed sense of fear, like, oh, but the, but I might try that and it might not work. Y- yeah. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I can guarantee you that. Yeah. So, and we're all going to die. We're only here for a few years. And uh, maybe one of the things I don't explicitly say in the book, but life is difficult enough. You might as well be pursuing something that fills you with life. Wow. For all the people like, it must be nice to have a job you like. It's Life is going to beat you up enough. You might as well yeah. wake up in the morning and take a shot at something that brings you joy. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. And I, I, there is some sort of odd modern heaviness. And you have to move through the heaviness to lightness. Yeah, where do you think that burden or that burdened sense is coming from? Well, you know, the... Uh, because I get, I get there. Sometimes I, I talk g- about the Hebrews gave us good and the Greeks gave us perfect. And perfect implies you nailed on the first try. Nice. But the Hebrew go word for good is tov, and tov has room for lot. Tov is sweaty, sexy, mm. bloody, dirty. Um, the poem that begins the Bible, because the Bible begins with the poem, there's light, uh, there's the sunshine, the sun is created. But if there's sun, then it's going to be dark. Mm. Um, there are trees and they bear fruit, and the divine says it is good, is as good, is good, but the trees bear fruit, and the fruit has seeds, and that's how the tree bears more fruit, but the seeds have to be buried. Sometimes you feel buried. And the, Greek, and the Greek version of that is... Well, the, the Greeks Greek gave us like... this beautiful ideal, which was art and, and music and rhetoric and sports, the Olympic Games. I mean, the Greeks gave us this toned, chiseled body, yes. these great human ideals, which are beautiful, but the flip side is for many people, they live enslaved to perfect, hmm. um, which is not excellence, which is not striving for good, but it's that it's that voice in your head that never lets up, a constant running commentary. You're not thin enough. You're not beautiful enough. Right. You're not making enough money. You're not cool enough. You're you not wearing the right... You can't quit this job because then you yeah. have health insurance. Yeah, yeah. You, and yeah. Tove knows it's going to... Good knows it's going to fall flat on its face. It yeah. knows it's going to end up face down in the mud. It knows that's all part of it. Tov it's all is part like, of it. Tov is like dad bod. <laughs> right? Like if the Greek ideal is like this rip chiseled the rock, Tov is like dad bod. Like it's going to be messy. And, and it's all good. underneath all there. And, and it's, it's all good. Yeah. And it's interesting, The I mean, going back to the ancient Hebrews, chapter one of the Bible begins with this non-dual awareness of good and there's light and dark. There's... Some days you're above ground. Right. Some days you feel buried. Right. Um, be fruitful and multiply. Anybody ever seen a birth? It's bloody, messy, yeah. actually quite frightening. Violent. And deadly. that's all part of it. Yeah. It's all part of it. That's and for awesome. so many people, it's, no, there's the good and then all the stuff that we don't know what to do with. Um, and when uh, my friend, the first Franciscan priest, Richard Rohr, wrote this book, Everything Belongs, hmm. um, 
this expansive understanding of you are a human being and there's a full spectrum of what it means to be a human being. Everything from certainty to doubt to anger to euphoria, it all is a part of what it means to be a human being. It's good to be human. Wow, that's cool. You mentioned that you've been making stuff and you've learned a lot from the, <laughs> you've been making a lot of things actually. When you, I love that your website is the work of Rob Bell. Like, cause that's truly what it feels like as a, as a person who's followed your stuff and read your books and seen the numas and seen that stuff for you. When you say that you've been making stuff and learned things from both the successes and the failures, what were one of those things that, and I'm doing air quotes, failed or flopped <laughs> or, or skid with its face on the pavement? <laughs> What were one of those things that had failed for you that you created that you thought was going to be great and then and you learned something from it? Well, I mean, I can go back to right away when I started speaking, I would have all these assumptions about how it was going to go. And I realized that there was something happening in the room bigger than me. Hmm. So I, uh, I mean, I can remember doing the sermon involving... I had those giant exercise balls and I recreated the solar system in the ceiling of the room. And I had people stand on ladders and hook these giant exercise balls into the ceiling. And then I had a disco ball lowered down in the middle of the room and played the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. And that was the sun. Wow. Just completely ridiculous and corny. But um, I remember like the level of work it took to stage this huge thing. And I had some moment at the end when I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing and i remember like the first person after that sermon walking up and saying something like oh yeah that album you told me about i bought it and listened to it <laughs> and just the number of times when i absolutely poured myself into it started with sermons and sometimes there would there would be these ex incredible you know alchemy this this right this reaction that would happen right. to them and then sometimes people would just be like who are, like, people would walk down front after the sermon and say, who are you? Like, where's the regular, why do they let you talk? Like, oh, wow. I don't know what you said, like, why were you even talk? like, just <laughs> shred me. Oh, jeez. So I think right away, you either have some sense, this is who I am, and this is why I'm here, and this is what I do. You have to hold yourself loosely at some point. Hmm. Um, and in the book, I talk about you throw yourself into it, and you surrender the outcomes. And then it was probably in by my early 30s, there were people who were very appreciative of my work, and then there were people who weren't. Um, and I remember, like, I did a series of teachings on women's equality. Women should be f free to be whoever they are, whether that's teach or lead or preach or be president, because that's obvious. And I remember a group of people organizing to have me removed as the pastor of the church that I had just started. <laughs> Wow. And then I started getting protesters when I go speak places to be people out front with big placards and bullhorns and Yeah. Um and do those things so feel like that does that what what do you do with like that? Feels like another material? life right now talking about it. Yeah, right, but what do you do with that material, right? Like so you describe yeah. when that kind of stuff happens, how does that inform you? When you do a talk, it doesn't turn out <laughs> like you hoped or that outcome doesn't respond right. to you the way you want right, to. Right, right, right. And the disco ball falls or it fails. Do you go that was a bad talk, I need to work harder? Or do you take that somehow and you, make it something? You're working a craft. So the craft, you're, it, this is an art form. And all trades, all crafts, all art forms are fundamentally humbling because mm -hmm. you're searching for something. So when someone, you know, you know, you have the same thing. 
you meet somebody and they tell, list all their accomplishments and tell you how awesome they are, I'm instantly like, no, they don't. They're not. They're not working craft. Hmm. They're after some other thing. Hmm. Success is their deal, but craft right. is like Tony Bennett singing into his 80s. Craft is Clint yeah. Eastwood making those films. Craft is that mom at the park, and she's got like her yeah. kid cuts his finger, and she has a band aid. Where how? Where did like my wife? I'm sure Sue Ann will pull band aids. An aspirin and a right. drink. Right. Where were you keeping that? And a food how did pouch you, and a. Yeah. How did you intuitively know she needed that little thing because she had a stomachache? Now, how, like that's craft. Yeah, that's, that's like great. Moms so, are sort of the masters of. There is this art, and all work has an element of craft to it. Um, yeah. And I think at a young age, I had this sense: I want to reclaim the sermon as this long lost art form, hmm. and. I I don't think it belong. I don't think it needs to be hidden away at eleven o'clock on a Sunday morning. I think it's an art form. It should be let loose. It should be out in the middle of culture. Wow. We should sermons. I want to reclaim sermons as this beautiful, subversive guerrilla theater that's inspiring and hopeful and provocative. And it's um, awesome. Yeah. So that so, so. But for you in your in your scenario, like I hear you describe that, and I hear you even describe the like Tony Bennett versus the guy who's super successful, right? <laughs> so the devil's advocate in me, and I'm reading your book, and your book was awesome. You gave me an early version, and I got to thumb through it. It's incredible. And I I was actually our mutual friend Trip. I called him and I was like, Hey, I just want you to know I'm holding Rob's new book. And he's like, you know what? I got a PDF of it a few months ago. I was like, screw <laughs> you. So I thought I had one on. I was in my mind signed. And he's like, well, you know, Rob kissed me on the mouth when he handed me his. So here's here's the thing. In the book, you take a person, like when you look at, at the relationship of craft to success, if I'm really, if I focus on the craft of it, there's something I think that maybe it's that people feel or that I feel sometimes going, this doesn't matter if I'm, good at it unless it is successful or yeah. leads to some success yeah. like i might be a, my craft as a father might be good but if my kids are total failures right then right, right i right. took it seriously and i learned a lot but i'm a bad dad or or like for you to do the sermons you can do that because people because it works at some level because it works yeah yeah so I you, use what success. do you do with, when you're focused on a craft and you're like going it, it's not working i i'm it's not i use in the book, I use the word success as sort of like an over-the-top sort of when there's no craft and this is just um, as a way to speak of what happens when you are waiting for the results to give validity to all that work that you did. Hmm. So you'll meet the person who's like, well, I will enjoy my life when when I reach X. And it's like, wait, 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 you, you may never reach X. Um, right. And now, may not and in the book, I talk about story. the importance of goals. It's important to have goals. It's important if you're trying to feed this many hungry people. If you're trying to make that much money, that's beautiful. They're incredibly motivating. There's always a there's a beautiful place for that sort of milestones. But if you're waiting for the results to bring you the joy, then you are leaving your joy in the future. You are giving the results power that they don't deserve. Um, and so, in how to be here, I'm trying. I'm trying to articulate a vision of life in which there's joy in the actual moment here and now working. Wow, that's cool. That you get to do this. And then obviously you reach your goal. Incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, but oftentimes what happens with success is it's promising you when you reach this, oh man, 
then. I'll and so pumped. you're living your life with a then. And the problem for many people is the existential thud of getting that thing you've been working so hard for and being like, this is it? Hmm. Like, yeah, you tell a great story yeah, book, yeah, yeah, yeah. about a guy. The I Corvette story. It. Yeah, I won't ruin it for everybody, but the <laughs> Corvette thing, when you read about, when you're reading moment. the book and you find the Corvette thing, I resonate with that so much because I think it's the same thing of like once I can date that girl or once I can move to that city or like you said about yeah. the, the recovery stuff, no matter what I've achieved, I'm still me here now. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm not happy or excited or full of life or if I don't resonate with my soul and the world around me at the where I am right yes. this very second, I'm yeah. not going to if someone drops a million dollars on me or or makes yeah. the thing successful. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. For you in this book, and I, I, I don't know if I, I'm going to say this for everybody. When I saw the cover of the book and you handed it to me, I thought, oh, good, how to be here. I expected like a devotional <laughs> about putting my phone down or <laughs> – you know, like journaling about what the weather is like and paying attention to your children's nuances. And I read it, and I think I said this to you over text. I read it, and I started getting into it, and I felt duped because nice. I felt like, wait a minute. I expected a book about how to be present and practice presence and do meditation, which I love anyways. I was like, okay, remind, maybe I'll get some meditations out of this. It was about all of those things except with this huge, massive iceberg-like underlayer of your life is your work. And if you're not on your phone constantly and super distracted and too busy, you will miss this. Being a dad, being a a sermon maker for <laughs> being a writer, being an accountant, being a yeah. mother. Like well I, I just what was moved me about the book was that I felt like it got me to the same place. Yes. I'm I'm on my phone less. I pay I look my daughter in the eye when she talks to me. I slow down going into the house. But you didn't write me a book about that. You wrote me a book about the fact that like everything that happens in the four walls of my home is the is a work of my life, yeah. and I just am so grateful. Yeah, and for that's that. a, uh, oh, thank you. That means the world, and I I'm glad that you were duped because I had had this really interesting conversation when I started turning the book into my editor, and he said, you know, there's a lot of books on meditation and contemplation which are fundamentally at some levels how to step back from your life, right, and notice and be aware and don't in, and not feel like everything's passing you by but he says you've actually written a book about how to be present not when you're s standing still but when you're moving not when you're withdrawing but when you're engaging yeah he's like i don't know if that i don't know if there's that book yeah totally. which is interesting right away when he started reading the book he, he the first thing he said is i he's like this is really interesting because you're writing about how to be present when you're on the go. Yes, which is, which is that inspiring was what, to yeah, me. And that was what sort of like, oh, okay, that's what's that's the heartbeat of this. Oh, got it. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I, ha I do, I think about it, and I think about those ideas, like when I'm sending text messages. I think about it when I'm writing emails quickly or when I'm running, rushing to my car or today. I have a Jeep, you've seen my Jeep, with no windshield and nothing <laughs> on it, right? It's not practical to drive that today. I have phone calls to make, and I should have driven the car with doors on it, but I was like, huh, I don't know. Like, in my mind, I'm making oh. this day. I chose to yes. drive that car, as impractical as that is, because I go, it's really sunny out. And, and when you pull up at my place, my friend John, who was coming down the driveway with me, and I said... You're going to love my friend Hank, and you can see by the vehicle he's driving yeah. how much you're going to love my friend Hank. Yeah. <laughs> Versus I show up in a Maxima, 
And it's like, yeah, he's just it's a, he's no a guy. offense to Maxima drivers. No offense but to the Maxima. When Hank pulls yeah, up in that Jeep, but it's just that quite a moment. Options. Yeah. It's a moment. I'm coming out of an episode of MASH when I drive that thing down the street, <laughs> and it just adds brilliance to it. So, Rob, your book had a huge impact on me. And oh, I love that it means so the much. world. And I'm so honored that that means the world. Really grateful for that. I love the work that you're up to and the things that you're doing, and I love that I got to be a part of this work of Rob Bell. Where can we find it? Where do we go to it? Where do we find your tour and those things if we live in all, the yeah, lower the 48 states? tour is going to go all over the place, and that's at robbell.com. The book is called How to Be Here. You can get it at bookstores everywhere. Barnes & Noble, I think, had some signed first editions. There might be still some of those left. And, um, yeah, I'm doing these events all over the country where we'll explore the ideas further. Would love to see people at those events. Amazing. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. Fantastic. Appreciate it.